Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Genesis of Startups, where we interview brilliant minds in entrepreneurship to explore what it's really like to start a business. Today, we have Naomi Nash, CEO of New River Leadership and co-author of Rethinking Leadership, Building Capacity for Positive Change. She has worked with social welfare agencies, schools, executives, and individuals to explore leadership and cultural change. Naomi has a passion for entrepreneurship and mentoring startups and has been granted an honorary associate position at the University of Sydney Business School for her work in this space. Welcome to the show, Naomi. Thanks very much for having me. It's great to be here. So, Naomi, tell me a little bit about yourself and what you're doing. So, I work as the director of New River Leadership and we partner with organisations to help build their capacity to do leadership collectively. So a lot of ideas and mythology about leadership point to a solo, heroic command and control kind of approach. We help organizations break out of that and actually access the wider resource of creativity and initiative and leadership that's usually sitting in their organization already. So I'm part of New River and we do lots around collective leadership. And I'm also a mentor with the Sydney Genesis program at the Sydney University. And I think I was looking through my emails and found my first inquiry to Genesis all the way back in 2014. So I've really enjoyed part-time mentoring of all kinds of early stage startup projects through that program for, for many years now. But my real focus is leadership and leadership development. And I see entrepreneurship as an important contemporary expression of of that leadership. Definitely. So Naomi, I know that one of the things that you suggest for entrepreneurs is to be able to use their abilities to support in a global response to, you know, a situation that we're experiencing today. What did you mean by that? Well, I was really, I mean, of course, at a time like this, the conversations that we're in become very problem soaked because we are people all across the world are experiencing lots of distress and loss and grief in the midst of the crisis. One of the things that an entrepreneurial mindset offers is the ability to see those problems as opportunities, that there is potentially work to be done, there's ideas to be generated that might help relieve those problems. And one of the things that's unique about the time we're in now, I think it's fair to frame it as a global humanitarian crisis, is that it isn't so much about economic outcomes, but actually what are the ideas What are the opportunities to get work done to solve problems that are actually really going to improve people's lives? And because this is a global experience we're having, there has been what I found a very encouraging whole range of conversations that move from that problem frame to go, well, what might we do together? And there's been some fantastic collective projects where people can sign up using all of the great online collaborative tools, whether it's responding to a YouTube video or jumping on a Slack channel. And whole projects are being crowdsourced in terms of who's contributing. So it's a great opportunity for anyone who's a little bit entrepreneurial or thinking about it, even just to see how these collective global crowdsourced responses to problems, how they work, how do they get set up, how do you contribute. And even if you're only a part of a couple of conversations, you're building skills as you do that. So that's the kind of thing I was talking about, that the entrepreneurial mindset gives you that opportunity to come out of just talking about the problems and the difficulty of it to start to think about, well, how might I contribute 
how do I want to show up in the face of these kinds of challenges? If I was to take an entrepreneurial step, what might I create or initiate in terms of actually making a positive response to what's happening? Definitely. So when you mention joining kind of these initiatives that are out there, do you mean that's the way to support this global effort or do you mean kind of creating and funding your own initiative? Look, it's a good question and I think it's something that entrepreneurs come up against all the time. Do I start my own response? Do I do something here now with what I've got or do I go out there and look at what's already happening and maybe collaborate or be part of it? And I think it really... Yeah, I think it really depends on who you are, what your strengths are and what your resources are and how much experience you have with that particular type of problem. I mean, if you've been in a field for 20 years and you've got lots of experience and skills and you think you've got an idea that might work, you probably have got a unique opportunity to do something and begin yourself. But if you're starting out in the even with the idea of being entrepreneurial or you're looking at a problem that you don't have much personal experience with, or direct skills that you could apply to solving it, joining what somebody else is doing is an excellent way to still be present, still show up, still start contributing and learning without having to be the total solution on your own. A lot of entrepreneurs that I've worked with at all phases of their journey, whether it's their first project or their 10th, talk about the pressure of needing to be the pressure to operate solo and the pressure to be everything and to be an all-rounder in your business or in your project. And the instant way to get around that really is to build a team around your, whether that's formally or informally, or even better, to, to join a team that's, that's already working on your problem. I think if I put my, again, my humanitarian hat on for a moment, particularly when it comes to big social problems, we're better to pool our collective intelligence and our collective creativity then have lots of siloed responses to the same problem happening independently. So there's a great benefit from sharing intelligence and sharing discovery and we're all going to watch that unfold, particularly in these coming months as biomedical experts are building drug-based solutions to what we're all experiencing and they are sharing information and sharing discoveries and sharing the structure of their projects in ways that are fairly unprecedented because the global need is so high. I mean that's a long answer to your question but (laughs) I think in summary I'd say if you're wanting to learn and explore and be part of an entrepreneurial project joining something that's already started is great. If you've got a unique position in the market, a unique set of experiences, and you've had a brilliant idea and you want to go out on your own and maybe protect that idea for a while, that makes sense too. It really really depends on where you're at in your journey and, and what your strengths and abilities are. Yeah, I love that. It's really knowing yourself and how you think that you can contribute the most. And if it means that you can go out there and find your own thing, you know, solve a niche problem that you're, that you're an expert in, then, you know, I mean, by all means, go ahead. But on the other side, if it means that there's already an initiative out there, pulling together our existing resources means that there's a potential for a greater impact if we all just work together. Yes, I think you said it much more succinctly than I did, Will. (laughs) (laughs) And you're also pointing to something that people wanting to be involved in entrepreneurship can be doing all the time, even before an opportunity comes up, which is getting clear on what are my strengths, what are my abilities, where can I contribute, where are my networks, have I built up my networks and built up my relationships? Because 
you know, when you need those relationships and networks, it's too late to build them. So if you're waiting for an opportunity, you can always be working on your network. And it's been brilliantly demonstrated. There's an Australian collaboration that came out of Sydney University where fantastic networks around their biomedical students and faculty that are already have a practice of meeting together as a community and sharing ideas. When the COVID-19 challenges started to present in Australia, they got their heads together and said, well, let's look at increasing capacity for ventilators in Australia and what would it mean to manufacture one using a bit of 3D printing and low-cost local approaches. Mm. And that network mobilised very quickly, prototyped very quickly and was able to be in conversations with New South Wales Health within, I think it's a matter of weeks of forming Yeah, that doesn't come out of nowhere. That comes out of people who know their skills, know their strengths and abilities and already had a great collaborative network that they could really leverage off to respond when a problem slash onto opportunity came their way. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. I mean, to take a bird's eye view, I suppose, for someone who perhaps might not know what area of the problem that they like or what they can contribute to, what ways can they discover that? I think... Learning to understand problems, to frame them up, to create problem statements is a core skill for anyone wanting to be entrepreneurial. There's a classic mistake that lots of students in particular of entrepreneurship that I've worked with make, which is loving the solution or loving the entrepreneurial process more than Mm. they love the problem they're working on. And that often ends up being a lot of what I call whiteboard entrepreneurship which is the ideas and conversations that never get beyond those great whiteboard conversations where everything feels possible and never end up having an impact in the real world whereas if you begin with having a deep look at the problem that can be about articulating it the way you see it but go out and check who are the people who really have this problem who lives with it all the time who are the secondary people around that problem who are also impacted by it ask lots of questions, do lots of inquiry and frame up that problem with a bigger view than just your own perception. A really key skill again around this is about recognising your own assumptions, recognising that you've got a frame of reference that might not be accurate, particularly if you're an outsider to that problem. So in my experience, people who take time to really inquire into the problem and talk with people who have that problem and who are affected by it can find some niche within all of that to go, well, I can't solve the big problem, but I can solve this small part of it. Or even better, they discover through the process of inquiry that that problem isn't actually the opportunity here, that there's something else that's been surfaced through all of those, through all that dialogue and maybe a bit of experimentation. That's the real thing that they want to move along with. But I think it's taking time to really steep yourself in the problem and find that authentic place where you can offer some value. It takes a lot of time and effort and often involves coming to dead ends and admitting that there isn't a problem worth solving here, which can be disheartening, but it's also another step along the road to finding a meaningful way of contributing. Yeah, definitely. I really love the statement that you made about the whiteboard entrepreneur, how you know, essentially there's a misconception with a lot of budding entrepreneurs trying to start with a solution. And from there, you know, when you've got a frame of mind to try to just focus on the solution, you never really start to understand the problem. And from there, it means that no real impact is made. But I suppose that 
when a, a budding entrepreneur goes through understanding different problems that they could potentially contribute to, is that just a matter of intuition where they look at a problem and think, oh, okay, this sounds interesting. Maybe I can contribute there. Or is there some sort of methodology, methodology that they can sift through the problems to know that that's the one that they want to solve? I think there are lots of methodologies for framing problem statements and whether you're a subscriber to the to the lean canvas or others there are lots of tools to help you get really clear on what is the problem that you're hoping to build a solution for. I think the difficulty in your question is people are so different and diverse mm. and and I wouldn't want to undervalue intuition because I think often in entrepreneurship there's a there's an X factor, there's a, a creativity, an intuition, a gut instinct about something that, that can be an important driver to what an entrepreneur does and, and an important factor of what makes their responses distinct. So I think it's not about totally discounting intuition, but it's about partnering your intuition with what I would call entrepreneurial discipline. And entrepreneurial discipline, what I mean by that phrase is testing your assumptions. So if this is how you frame the problem and this is what your instinct is telling you is going to be useful, test it. Submit yourself to the discipline of running that idea past people who might be willing to pay for it to be built or pay to use it or who might simply appreciate it being built in the world. Go out and show people, submit yourself to that discipline because when you get intuition and creativity partnered with feedback partnered with experimentation and a willingness to dialogue, that is a very powerful combination. And that works for problems of any size. Even if you've got a small problem with a housemate about the rules around who are we going to go out and see and how are we going to do social distancing, you could come up with a whole lot of assumptions and build a solution for the household. But that's only going to work so much as you've got a command and call grasp on your housemates. Yeah. What's much more powerful is to come up with, well, okay, this is what I think I'm comfortable with and this is what I think might work for us, but can I test it out with you? You know, test it out over a beer or over dinner and then you're going to come up with a solution as a whole household that's much more workable. That discipline of intuition plus dialogue is really powerful in facing any problem. And I think entrepreneurs that are seasoned that are in it that that manage to get onto their fourth fifth sixth project one of the skills they've really built is the ability to ask for feedback and to listen to it and to learn from it and to respond and i'm not just talking about feedback like you know showing your best friend or showing a colleague and asking what do they think about this idea i'm talking about building something that you can really test with a person, even if it's a problem statement, to go, is this really the problem? How would you describe it? Why does this problem matter to you? How does it impact you? To ask questions and get feedback that's got some depth and rigor, that skill set is really what sets, in my mind, the enduring entrepreneurs apart from those whiteboard entrepreneurs, the ability to engage in a dialogue and be open to feedback and let your assumptions be tested, you're going to end up with a much truer, more workable sense of the problem and therefore a much more authentic, interesting place in which to put your energy and to figure out. And, and if in the end you look at the results of all that and go, well, I'm no longer interested in this problem, I've got no, in, I've got no energy, then it's okay to acknowledge that and go, all right, that's not the direction I want to go. The quicker you can move on and let that go and find a new idea or find a new 
a new thread to follow, the, the better. And I think I would just encourage people to know that that's a normal part of the process, you know, mm. following ideas and finding that you're at the end of your energy and letting them go. That, that might happen 50 times before you find your first real project that you want to invest in deeply. And that's okay. That's all part of it. Yeah, definitely. I love that. You know, testing assumptions is arguably one of the most important things as an entrepreneur, not being stuck in a, in a riff where you assume everything, but it may not necessarily be the case in reality when, when the project maybe starts. So, you know, I mean, so far we've been talking about perhaps more on the perspective of someone starting their own, you know, response initiative. But for someone who wants to join an existing initiative, is everything that we talked about largely the same? For example, when we talk about testing assumptions, what does that look like in joining an, an existing initiative? Well, I think whenever you join an existing initiative or join an existing project, for the first little while, you're kind of in this magical bubble of being an outsider. And mm. you'll notice things that the existing team can't say anymore because that's just the water that they're swimming in. So, an excellent opportunity you have whenever you're new to something is to do heaps of listening and observing and then provide to that team, provide it in the form of feedback to go, hey, I'm noticing that this is how things are done around here or this is maybe an assumption you've made. Can I check? Am I right? And those early days before you're really enculturated into that team can be a really precious time of building insight and providing an outside voice to that team that's really valuable to the team's process as well as whatever product that they're building. So there is that that's a bit unique when you join something. I think the other thing when, you, when you're joining something, I think the, the process around testing assumptions and getting feedback from the market or from potential customers or from potential users of your solution, those processes are largely the same. They're just done collaboratively. And mm. so part of the skills to be able to show up well to a collaboration is being an excellent listener and valuing diversity and being able to have have good, open, honest dialogue with your colleagues, as well as when your instinct or when your own creativity sees an idea or an opportunity, having the courage to trust yourself to, to put that on the table as well, to not just be listening and supporting others, but actually to have the self-belief to put your ideas on the table as well. And that's a really important skill for anyone to have in joining a team to be able to actually, you know, believe in yourself enough to, to put your instincts and ideas on the table alongside others. And again, you know, be open to their feedback and their perspective. Yeah, definitely. Putting up a fresh pair of eyes and everything else is essentially the same, except you're just doing it in a collaborative fashion, ensuring that you listen and understand where, where the, the team is trying to head and being able to utilize your skills and, and join it together. Mm. So, one of the things that you mentioned is that entrepreneurs know all about uncertainty and unpredictability and the unknown. In what ways can they lend their ways of thinking to people who are not necessarily as entrepreneurial? And what does that mean, knowing all about uncertainty, unpredictability and the unknown? Yeah, it's a really great question. I mean, I think anyone who's been part of an organization for you know more than three or four years will have seen the kind of polarization that can happen between the entrepreneurial innovative, creative type of approach to work and, and those who prefer security and business as usual and some predictability and, you know, to be able to really effectively manage resources. That's a very common tension in teams, in organisations, in, in departments that 
So understanding that if, you know, you're in that kind of dynamic, again, that's a fairly normal thing. But it's an opportunity to become skillful. And I think what I meant by talking about how entrepreneurs, they know about uncertain times and they know about unpredictability, it's because often they're starting from nothing. Hmm. So there is no business as usual. There is no the way we've done things around here. There is often very little formal role definition. And by that, I mean, there's often very little attachment to, well, I'm the CEO or I'm the head of um, this department or I've got this particular set of responsibilities and I've always had them. So some of those role perceptions in, in organizations with lots of structure can limit thinking and limit who contributes when and how. So while entrepreneurs may eventually and startups certainly may eventually benefit from some structure, one of the unique things that they can bring to the table is that, they, that they're willing to get things done before the structure is in place and they're used to kind of that practice of, of bootstrapping, of just making something happen as best they can. And that, 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 that overall willingness to take action even before we're really sure that it's the right direction is a is a flexibility that's really useful right now in any organization because we still have to be getting things done we still have to go to the shops we still have to educate our young people we still have to take care of people in hospitals and yet there's so many things unknown about how this virus is going to behave and how our economy is going to behave so we can't be totally paralyzed by what we don't know what we have to do is figure out ways of moving forward and entrepreneurs are used to beginning with experimentation and taking small steps and then getting feedback and and reflecting and learning from what that experiment yields and then moving forward. And so that kind of more iterative way of thinking about getting things done, the willingness to experiment, the willingness to learn and listen to feedback, these are things that are essential when you're navigating any unknown environment whereas someone who's been involved much more in a a management role or had a job that's been very steady it may have been years since they've ever done an experiment or tried anything new because that's not their job so they miss out on all that opportunity to build those skills whereas right now we've got school teachers who've totally delivered curriculum and supported the well-being of young people in a way that they've never done before in their career. And that's because this uncertain environment has presented them with the opportunity to do it. I guess it's my perspective and my hope that people who are practised at these ways of thinking and operating can be really flexible and therefore able to respond when circumstances that are very uncertain come up because they do have some ways of thinking and taking action together that are more flexible. Another way to think about it is that if you do have a business as usual, when that's interrupted, it's a loss. And when human beings go through any loss, we have grief or anxiety or fear. And to keep it really simple, you can just think about those three processes as things that take energy and brain space. And so people who are in their professions, in their roles, having to deal with some loss and grief, they've got less access to energy and less access to brain space. Again, you flip it to the other side and you look at an entrepreneur who hasn't had any losses, they still have full access to all their energy, creativity and brain space. And that's putting it very simply, but that's an example of what I'm talking about, about how 
people who are used to operating in an entrepreneurial environment might find themselves even energized by the opportunity of the amount of uncertainty that's around us. And I think it wouldn't take much for any of the listeners to this podcast to do a little bit of looking around and find out, well, what products have been invented? I mean, I know of a staging and lighting business in Sydney who obviously, with no theatre operating, lost almost 100% of their income for the foreseeable future. The arts industry in Australia is some of the worst hit. And what they decided to do is to use their making skills to build furniture, quick, rapidly build furniture to help people do stand-up desks and good ergonomics and maybe even those little desks that you can put over your legs if you're on the couch or working from bed. They managed to turn a big loss into a creative opportunity. But before they did that, they would have had to process those losses and process that grief. So yeah, when you've got a business as usual that's disrupted, it takes some time to process that before you can move on and be creative. And I think sometimes people with an entrepreneurial mindset or skill set or working context can leapfrog in these moments a little bit more easily. Yeah. I love that. I get your point as well. I mean, humans, we're naturally risk adverse and we don't like uncertainty, but unfortunately, that's just the way the world is. And the better that you can prepare for that uncertainty, the better off that you'll be when the uncertainty or the the problems start to arise. But one of the things that I really want to know is, is there a way that we can somehow alleviate this uncertainty? In other words, how can we better prepare for uncertainty, especially for the people who aren't necessarily as entrepreneurially mindset it. So if I answer your question from the perspective of someone interested in building solutions that are products or services and think about how do people prepare for uncertainty in terms of that frame of reference, I think there's actually a great deal we can do. And already we've talked about a lot on this podcast. Build your awareness of what your strengths and abilities are. Build your networks and your relationships Build your skills in collaboration, asking for feedback, communicating your ideas, testing your assumptions, building experiments, analyzing the results of those experiments, being open to learn, looking widely for ideas. I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs I know, they'll be reading a horse riding magazine one day and they'll be reading a car mechanics magazine the next. You know, keeping your reading really wide and diverse helps with your creative processes. You can be part of uncertainty in your everyday life. So you can go to a improv night, sign yourself up for doing something you've never done before. All of those experiences will build your skills as a person for responding and being okay and being happy and being able to have a bit of fun when things don't go exactly as you plan. And again, a lot of people I know in business do take opportunities to be part of conversations or events that have a bit of unpredictability in them because they know it's good for their skill building. You know, being able to show up in an unpredictable context is a skill that you can build by finding safe, unpredictable contexts that you can play and experiment and get experience in. I think the last thing I'd say about that is that you can also, almost like in terms of preparation for anything, I guess it goes without saying, but work on your well-being. You know, how are your personal foundations? How are your relationships? How clear are you on your sense of purpose, on your values? You know, what really does matter to you? What's important to you? 
And those those foundations, you know, we can always be working on in life, but they are part of what helps you respond creatively rather than with fear when uncertainty comes knocking. And the same thinking applies for teams. So if you're part of a team or a family even and you're wanting to think about, well, how do we get ourselves ready for a bit of unpredictability, building trust, building your conversational skills, you know, can you have a healthy disagreement as a team? Can you give each other feedback? Can you admit mistakes? You know, what's the level of psychological safety in your team? That can always be built in preparation for uncertainty because those are assets that are useful no matter what your circumstances are. And certainly, you know, just to end on a really practical note, there are often things we do know even in the midst of uncertainty. And again, in Australia, we've had this incredible asset of our health system, which I think is, you know, envied the world over. We have got fantastic health experts who have been able to use their expertise and use scenarios that they've anticipated to guide us in our response. And so there are some uncertainties, certainly in business, that you can anticipate and be thinking about before they come. And and I'm, I'm actually talking talking to you from the Blue Mountains today, William, and, and households up here know all too well that an uncertainty that's potentially going to come is bushfire but this but but there there are some things that they can do to prepare and they can talk to the local rural fire service and they can talk to their neighbors and and talk to people who've experienced it to find out well how can we best prepare so i think i'm very much a subscriber to the thought that while uncertainty and unpredictability does have some blind spots and new information and there's things that we can't know there's so much that we can do to prepare for it I think it's always worth investing in those things. And when those kinds of foundations are in place, when the uncertainty happens, it doesn't mean that you won't have some kind of impact. I mean, I personally, in the second week of the lockdown, found myself very tired and very <laughs> much needing to be in bed by eight o'clock and, and my, for a week or so because there was an adjustment to be made even though my loved ones were safe and well and my business was able to be flexible. There's still an impact. So I'm not saying you can totally minimise the impact but you there are certainly things you can do to prepare that are really worthwhile. And there's a classic book that gets handed out between mentors and mentees in business and in all kinds of things called Who Moved My Cheese? I don't know if you've heard of it, William. No, I don't think I've ever heard of that. <laughs> yeah. It's a great short story, but one one lens on it is is it's an answer to your question about how is it that some people are more prepared for change or more prepared for unpredictability than others? And what is it that enables some people to be able to respond with creativity and positivity while others really struggle? And if you want to be someone who can make a positive, community-centred, clever business response in crisis times of crisis, then there is a lot you can do to prepare yourself to be able to do that. And and I've talked about a few, but there's a, there's a lot more to this to, that we could that you know William and I could talk about today. But there's just a few thoughts from me. I'm I'm a big subscriber to those kinds of preparations. I think that particularly the stuff about your own well-being and being clear on your purpose and values those things really do show up in a in a crisis or in uncertainty 
So it's important to be clear on on those things before the uncertainty arrives. It's very difficult to make a change to your values or sense of purpose once you're, you know, in the pressure of in the pressure of something. And we see stories about that in, you know, you could you could do an analysis of 10 media stories over the last week in Australia and just ask yourself what's the purpose of this organization and what do they value and how has that transparent in their response and it's you know it's it, it can be very illuminating so i think that's important work to do personally particularly for entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs are often working on their own and and that means that who you are shows up a lot in your business in your thinking it shows up in all your collaborative relationships so it's important mm. work to do um, when you can yeah, absolutely. You know, I love this. It's recognizing that in uncertainty, there are two levels. On one hand, there are structures that you can prepare for. There are things that you can know. And one of the things that you mentioned quite clearly is, you know, your purposes and values, because those things stay constant, even despite all the uncertainty. And if you are, you know, solid, strong in, in what your purpose is and what you value, that part won't change during the uncertainty. But to the part that does change kind of the the external environment, maybe the things that you can do to prepare is essentially just be inquisitive. Because I know that you mentioned a lot of examples, like from doing stand-up comedy or trying things that you've never done before. And your ability to link together all these knowledge pockets that you gain from doing these things that may on the face of it appear unrelated but when the crisis does hit you might find that you what you learn in stand-up comedy can be applied to your dealings with working in a group setting for example or you know other things that you do in other areas may be applied to things that you never knew could be applied but yeah it's not textbook learning and i love that <laughs> yeah and i think um you know even as you just just reflected back there i was thinking about the improv and, and the whole idea of being a part of any kind of group process that's that's a bit spontaneous that human beings have this incredible asset that that is that, that is our ability to play and in one way play and playfulness is one of the ways we respond to uncertainty and we respond to the unknown and it's not usually hugely present in people's professional lives because it sort of seems a bit well well you know play is childish it's, it's for young people but but I have worked with teams in the past who have brought a bit of a spirit of play to how they how they engage with each other because there's something in play that's very important in terms of flexibility and responsiveness to the to the uncertain. And so, anything you can do, you know, here's a good here's a good prescription for your listeners, William. Anything they can do to to turn the volume up on the play in life and their sense of you know that those kind of spontaneous fun moments of enjoyment. Know that that's also building really important skills, and we know it for children. It's less talked about in the professional sphere, although I, I'm um, conscious that even some colleagues of mine I've engaged with very intentionally bring play into what they do, whether they're educators or psychologists. It is, it is something that people, that people use. And so I'd encourage people, if you're really interested in being able to be prepared for uncertainty and prepared for the unknown in your own life and in your work life, anything you can do to experiment and explore your own sense of play and playfulness that'll be a great investment in, in being able to be flexible when the time comes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Naomi, thank you so much for being a guest here today on the Genesis of Startups. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad that we got together, William. It's good. Yeah. Well, 
I hope the audience has found what you talked about today about uncertainty, unpredictability, and how we can best prepare and leverage our skills in situations such as COVID-19. To our audience, I hope that you found it incredibly valuable. If you'd like to learn more about Naomi Nash or about the genesis of startups, feel free to drop us a line on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. Until next time.